0: Hey, what's up? Nothing, What's going on? You ready to go? Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm all set.
0: Ready to rock. All right. You got the indie tonight, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure do.
0: All right. I got a. Uh, I got hero coming on to do the uh, Marvel. Oh, awesome, awesome.
1: So, all right. So you're so you're the DC. So, all right. Uh, hey, um, you said you got a hero on. Uh, shouldn't we maybe look at seeing ha- ha- having the professor on?
0: Professor Allen? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so.
1: Why not? Oh come
0: on, you 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 totally can't be mad
1: about I oh come on, you know a guy makes one mistake. I mean, if that was the case,
0: you would have got rid of me a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, well you know what? Uh, don't tempt me. But you know, <sighs> the guy the guy he had his chance. He he's he's putting out accolades for every freaking show in in the internet, and and you know he says he's our friend. He he totally just left us off. Not even a nomination. Nothing. I don't care. You know what? The show's got integrity. I have integrity. As long as I'm in charge of this, the guy doesn't go on the show. That's it. Okay, Mr. Producer. All right, let me bring in Hero. Oh, hey. Hey, Hello. you ready to go?
2: Hero. Hey, la <laughs>
0: oh. uh, you got you got a marvel today right hero
2: oh you bet i do
0: all right i got a dc doctor you got an indie
1: yeah yeah hey get, hey yeah guess what i found i found the second issue to apollo smile from the book i did last week oh god no no
0: <laughs> what I'm, i i that book sucked no
1: <laughs> I, I, well They're that's just...
0: all i got man you got to get something else. I, I can't.
1: I don't have time to prep anything. We got to do this tonight because I I, I got to go into work early tomorrow.
0: No, that's not happening. That's not happening. Uh, we'll <sighs> talk about this. Hang on. Hello, Professor Allen.
3: I was wondering when you'd call.
4: Back
0: to the bin. All right, we're ready. Uh, who's bringing it in? Not me. Uh, okay,
3: I'll 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 bring it in.
0: All right, go ahead.
3: La la la.
0: This well played, well played, my friend.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and we're here with back to the bins. I'm Professor Allen, and I'm joined by a couple of co-hosts, I guess you'd call them guests, perhaps. You may know them as Chris Tyler, Bill Robinson, and Paul Spataro. I know them as my new friends on the internet.
1: (laughs) I thought you were going to say my new
0: minions. (laughs) (laughs) Bah! I have no need for minions.
3: (laughs) Chris does sort of look like a doombot. Just throwing that out a little bit.
0: i got to ask you, Alan. uh, When we called you in, you seemed awful confident that you were getting that call.
3: Well... Uh, I have, I have friends in, in, in high places. I, I know, uh, Skype Latveria. Uh, (laughs) Um, I believe me. No, no, I knew, I knew you guys had to come, had to come, uh, calling eventually.
0: Well, I'm impressed by your confidence.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Professor Allen, come on, it's time for dinner.
3: I can't come right now.
2: Are you recording another Quarter Bin podcast?
3: No, I'm, I'm just waiting for a phone call.
2: After not giving them an award? I don't think they're going to call, honey.
3: Hello? Paul? Paul? <sighs> it's for you, honey.
1: Try not to sound so desperate, Dad. If they do call, you have to be cool.
3: Right. Be cool. Like I am on Shortbox Showcase? No, I'm the cool one. Yeah, I guess so. What do you think? I don't know. Something like,
1: I was wondering when you'd call.
2: I'm the one that everybody calls. It's like, hey, can you do a guest spot? Yeah.
0: Yeah, America's guest.
2: (laughs) Yep, that's me. America's favorite guest. So when Chris is on a show, you know someone canceled? Is that pretty much? Pretty much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Chris, this is your third time on?
2: This is it. This I'm doing the round trip here. I got I I I did a DC first, I did an indie second, I, and now I got now I got a revival. And uh well since, since
0: the last time you were on, you've started up a new show?
2: I have. My wife uh, wasn't even
0: pimped up a little. I,
2: I wasn't even going to think about pimping that. Uh yeah, Dave Atterbury and I uh who is a, a very good friend now, having met him at Sawa Celebration when I went down there a couple of years ago with the guys. We have started a show called Nerds on Film, where we pick movies that we love, and we make stupid jokes and talk about them during the entire duration of the film. So if you can't get enough commentaries, and I know you can't, listen to Nerds on Film. We, we cover fun stuff.
0: Yeah, so far I've been... Uh, I haven't listened to the latest one yet, but I've listened to all the ones before that. And uh, Thank I'm enjoying you. it. Good show. Thank you. I would like to hear something from the 70s or 90s eventually. but You, you know. will. <laughs> <laughs> and around uh, when you do like what, like 20 shows on your own network?
3: Uh, it's not quite uh, Two True Freaks level just yet. The uh, relatively geeky network is uh, me and my daughter. She is putting her sociology degree to good use by talking about Bronze Age comics from well before she was born. On uncovering the Bronze Age, she and I together do short box showcase, and I do un- and I do the quarter bin podcast.
0: Well, I certainly hope today you picked a book that costs more than a quarter, because oh, <laughs> I could have just done it on oh, your. Oh
3: man, I went, I went way above. It's embarrassing.
0: <laughs> well, then I'm going to need to know how much you paid.
3: <laughs> it, this was a solid two dollar fifty cent, right
2: off the uh, off the shelves twenty years ago. Wow, 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 that is expensive for twenty years ago. It is crazy.
0: It's like more what was out. I thinking? Yeah. Well, you you were thinking twenty years from now I'm going to be on some podcast, <laughs> and I need to have an indie because otherwise we're going to have to listen to Apollo Smile number two. <laughs> no
3: hey. I, I am here to save the day
0: yes and all is forgiven now although <laughs> next year I expect an award
3: you've got a pretty good chance of being nominated at this point I'm just throwing that out
0: <laughs> I hope there's some sort of cash stipend when it's, uh, when it's, all, when it's all done
2: ask, ask the fantastic cast uh, no. no you will get paid in quarter comics
0: there'll be no money But when you die, you'll get total consciousness. Total consciousness. So I got that going for me. Which is good. All right. Anybody got anything uh, going on comic book wise?
2: Uh, No. Comics. I got nothing. I don't I don't read comics, I'm a nerd. (laughs) Say (laughs) that out loud. I always suspected. I'm a poser, I'm a composer poser
0: <laughs> well, So I guess nobody's got anything Alright <laughs> So we might as well dive into the books then uh, Marvel's up first, Chris I do
2: have a novel And not a superhero book, believe it or not I have Bill and Ted's excellent comic book From December of 1991 The first issue it's the only issue I have. I have not been able to track down the remainder of these, and I can't imagine them being worth anything. Um, so this would have uh, this would have hit right after the second film, couple well, not right after, but a couple months after the second film came out, which uh, I'm fan big fan of both of those uh, movies, obviously. And uh, we'll just run through the credits here real fast. We've got Evan Dorkin as the writer and Tesla. Stephen D'Avano is the anchor. Kurt Hathaway is the letterer, Robbie Bush is the colorist, and I don't give a crap about the editors. Um, (laughs) So we open up with basically the wedding of, the re-wedding of Bill and Ted after they eloped during the second film. And uh, Abe Lincoln, striding basically through what looks like the White House, but it's not, looks all stern, and he, he opens up this big door, and then there's a two page spread getting freaky with his hat off and he's got a big kid and play high top fade going on and he's giving the metal horns and saying party on dude and there's a giant party in the background with like every character from the bill and ted movies there and what appears to be the red hot chili peppers on stage or a very close approximation of them um <laughs> and uh, basically the whole issue is just an excuse to continue the story of bill and ted and that's okay because the dialogue in it is amazing, and it's like it came right out of the movies. Since I do have to give somewhat of a plot summary, um, Bill and Ted are renewing their vows with the audacious princesses that they basically kidnapped from Old England. And uh, Rufus is going and tracking down the uh, the band that the, the girls want to play from back in their day, and getting the king to come and give his blessing and all that. And... Uh, That's going on in the present time. Bill and Ted are worried about you know making sure everybody gets the potty and has a good time, and everybody's there Billy the kid, Death, Socrates, (laughs) Socrates, uh, Joan of Arc, everything, and they all get a gag in the book. Uh, Joan of Arc is sitting there looking at a little tiny chicken on a rotisserie, and she can't turn away from it. Ha ha ha. Uh, (laughs) made me chuckle anyway. Um, Yeah. Death, death, gets drunk and says, "I'm on vacation. I'm not. I don't care if anybody. Nothing. I'm not. I'm not taking anybody's life today." Uh, you know, the aliens are there. They're helping the, the brides get get into their dresses. But the big crux of it is the two. There's two guys that kind of look like Bill and Ted from Old England that beat up two of the band members that were going to come play at the wedding. And, uh, they take over them and they feel jilted by the princesses because they wanted to marry them. And hijinks ensue. More jokes are made. More amazing dialogue that came right out of the movies there. And, uh, Bill and Ted end up in a duel with the two. And they don't want to kill them. They just sort of laugh at him and kinda try to diffuse the situation with some comedy, as they're prone to do. Uh, Know, Bill does poke one of them right in the cheeks, <clears throat> butt cheeks with a with a sword, and uh, eventually, Death says, "Hey, come on, I'll buy you a drink," and they get, you know, they walk away, but they can't they can't give it up, so they decide they're going to kill Bill and Ted anyway during this wedding reception, and they stumble upon the good robot usses that Bill and Ted made in the second film, and they stab them with their swords, and they get electrocuted and die. And it's a really dark moment in the rest of. The rest of the book is so light. It's like, oh, these guys are dead. Well, I guess they're dead now. Let's continue on with the party. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's basically just an excuse to have a romp. Um, this series did go twelve issues, so I don't know what happens next. In terms of uh, you know, some of the some of the funnier bits that you'll you'll see in it, like uh, Genghis Khan is sitting there eating all the cocktail weenies and he ends up puking. Uh, Death gets drunk, and he's like touching Socrates' head and Socrates has this worrying expression like, oh, am I, I going to die? Am I going to die? <laughs> um, yeah, Socrates also in a mosh pit in one panel. Uh, Billy the Kid shooting plates trying to be cool and impress girls. Uh, I don't even know what else to say. You know, Rufus is in it, of course. It's a reasonable facsimile of George Carlin. Um, we should actually talk about the ad. It is kind of unique art, but... It's not continuity to the point where you don't recognize what's going on and you can't pick out who's who. Uh, George Collin looks like George Collin, Bill and Ted look like Bill and Ted, you know, slightly exaggerated. Um, The only real major character change in terms of how they look in the movies and how they look on the page is death. He's very much, he's not Bill Sadler. He's very much the guy, well hey, you know, there's only one Bill Sadler. You know, naked doing tai chi in front of the TV and die Hat too,
0: um, and, then, and then dying on a plane. No, he didn't die on the wing, did he? Uh, I can't remember. No, what's his name died on the wing? Uh, the good times. John Amos. John Amos died on the wing. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, what did Bill Sadler do? Was he on the uh, wing also? I think they just
1: blew up in the plane when. Oh, well, that's uh, yeah. The yeah
0: that's he. He basically knocks Bruce Willis off, and then he. That's when he lights it yeah. on fire and gives the yippee mother. Yes. Yeah okay sorry to interrupt that's,
2: that's quite all right those diversions that would make this show great uh no they make death pretty much the traditional grim repo with a skeleton face and skeleton hands and Aww. it works for the it works for the comic i like it um another thing to mention is the two yeah the, the two guys that want to win the princesses back look like evil versions of bill and ted basically uh <laughs> it's just kind of funny um it's it's such a it's such a humor magazine that it's hard to even talk about anything other than that general outline of the plot because there really isn't much plot. That's the plot. Zapati and Bill Ted have to defend themselves against two guys that want to kill him. The, the only plot thing is not the point. No, it is very much a humor mag, and it, it was an it was nominated and won the Eisner Award for Best Humor Magazine in nineteen ninety two. Yes. Best humor publication. And it won, um, so I must. With have been were things a like Mad is.
0: Magazine in the running for that, or was it just purely comic books?
2: I don't know. I don't know how the Eisner Award awards get dealt out.
1: I think they had uh, your Diary, Paul. That would be humor. That, that's probably
0: too much fiction.
2: Tragedies more not like it. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, hey, you know, I gotta do what I gotta do. This is why I'm on the show. I make jokes. Um, but literally, if you're a fan of Bill and Ted. And you enjoy those characters and you enjoy the way they talk, which is completely perfectly translated to the page. <laughs> Let me see <laughs> if I can find it. I'll find a bit. Let me see if I can find it. Actually, I'll read the. It's, you know, Marvel used to do the corner boxes with all the faces in it for this number one issue. And I have to squint my eyes. It says, totally resplendent, triumphant, stellar, non heinous, non bogus, most classically excellent first issue in the corner box. You know, it's got to love model um right, let me see if i can find some choice dialogue because i do kind of want people to track this down and read it and, and well, while, while you're looking the for the letter.
0: uh for the dialogue i'm just i i don't have the book in front of me which you know i usually like to try and have it in front of me while, while we're doing this but this one just isn't wasn't available for me but i'm looking at the cover image and. Uh, it the artwork looks good. It looks like exactly what it should look like. You can recognize every character. You got George Carlin in the corner. You got Bill and Ted in the background. You got Death, Lincoln, Socrates, Billy the Kid, and Genghis Khan, and and uh, Napoleon also. All, yep. all there, all look you know easily recognizable. Uh, it does have a, a cartoonish look. It almost almost has a Bill and Ted's version of Archie kind of look about it. That's I'd what say i was a,
3: gonna say, yeah. What yeah. I what yeah, what I see, just you know, you know, we just have the cover. I looked at it and got a, a real Archie vibe as well, or halfway Archie, halfway, you know, regular comic book.
0: hmm And 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 if the dialogue is a, you know is, is as on point as you're saying, it seems like this is a a real successful effort. For me, it was if
2: you're not a fan of Bill and Ted, there's no force on heaven, earth or ink and paper that's gonna change your mind about that mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I you know I'm having trouble finding the dialogue now too, which is kind of funny, considering I was just raving about it. oh every <clears throat> so <clears throat> bill's got his his little son in his hands, he says, everybody, this is special edition bill, miniature cool version, say hello, little Bill and uh the the grandmother's there from Pat, to you know, the one that wanted to kiss him. And uh, she tries to kiss his baby, and the baby's expression is priceless. I don't know. It's It makes me chuckle, but I'm a soft sell with this kind of stuff. So, I don't know. And I, the, the Joan of Arc gag, that one really, <laughs> really got me. I like that. And then there's also Sigmund Freud is sitting next to Napoleon, and Napoleon is bitching about the, uh, the dessert that's been named after him since his death. And he's like, it is so light and flaky and small. And Freud <laughs> says, "Oh, so it's a question of size, then?" As, you know, they, it's it's really on point with knowing exactly who everybody is. Oh, and then I mean, jeez, they're talking to Abe Lincoln. And they say, hey, you know, AB Baby, you're going to be able to stick around. Oh, AB Baby, where's the where's the missus? And it's like, oh, uh, she couldn't come. She has to get ready. We're going to the theater tonight. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, man.
1: speaking of that, I just, I just found the cover for issue 11 of Bill and Ted's. And on the cover, it's got a close-up of a $5 bill. And yeah. you see Lincoln, and he's got this real wor- wor- worried look on his face. And Bill and Ted are... Off to each side, like peeking in through the little window on the dollar on the five dollar bill, and there's a big crosshair right on Lincoln's forehead, <laughs> like through a sniper scope.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Death even says to, to Abe as he walks by, he goes, "Hey Abe, how's the head?" And it's like, oh my god, they're really they're milking it for all it's worth. It's really, it's really funny. So yeah. anybody out there that has scans or issues, let me know because I do want to read the other eleven issues of this. <laughs> I, actually, I'll mention one more thing. There's a little tiny midget guy with who's just a face on like a a tire, and he busts in. He's looking for Bill and Ted. He's not. He's seen in like three panels, and then he's gone after Genghis Khan pukes on him. But it looks like looking at the covers of the other issues, it's probably the only thing that they had that led into what's going to happen. And death quits being death at the end. So that's the t- the tag for the next issue is, you know, <laughs> death, death, death's on a holiday. The next issue is death takes a holiday, club dead. You know, I, if that doesn't make you want to read this book, I don't
0: know what will. That's, it definitely sounds like something I'd like to read because I did like the movie. I'm wondering uh, now if we're going to get a Bill and Ted's uh, uh, Nerds on Film uh, commentary.
2: Uh, I think Scott and Chris covered and Ted. I think for the moment I Dave, and I, Dave and I are probably going to try to find stuff that doesn't look like Scott and Chris will be covering anytime soon, just so we don't overlap. But we do have plans to overlap on some certain things. I so. mean, you're, you've stolen
3: the concept. Why not stolen, steal the whole show? Go for it.
2: That's true. If you're going to go to the <laughs> bell, ring it.
0: Yeah, just look at Professor Allen with his quarter podcast. Oh, excuse me.
2: Hey. <laughs> hey, that was red pot. <laughs> Andy and Mike only did that because in the future they found out about <laughs> Alan Show.
0: Well, oh, and Andy, Andy and Mike stole back to the bins before I was on back to the bins, so I can't get mad at them.
2: No, it's a love fest. Let's 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 just enjoy the comics.
0: There you go.
2: Hair metal hero, though.
3: Words of peace. I like it. Hey,
2: I'm a good Catholic boy. Most of the time. <laughs>
3: yeah, you no. Know, you know.
0: That's not what I hear.
2: You've been talking to my mother, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: she's really closer to my
2: age. What can I tell you? She's a lot older than you.
1: Okay. I had a really bad joke there, but I'll keep it to myself.
2: Don't do it, Bill. Come on.
0: I can always edit it out. Go ahead. No, he he was talking to the priest.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we need, need a, a rim shot after that one.
2: Yeah. You going to get my Irish stand up, Bill.
0: You That's know, I... The other day, the uh, show Bill and I did, I just found out that uh, Dum-Dum Dugan's from Boston. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I don't know why they didn't contact you to play him in Captain America.
2: Uh, Well, you know, Neil McDonough is also from Boston. Is he?
0: Because he doesn't have a strong accent. Well, he's an
2: actor. I can turn mine off, too. I mean, I did a show about it. Wow.
0: Mm -hmm. I guess. I don't know. See, it's so hard for me to know because I don't have an accent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh that's
3: a good one, Paul. Oh that's a good one.
0: <sighs> I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> All right.
3: Next that's not an accent, that's <laughs> just the way everybody talks. That's not an accent.
0: That's I I talk the correct way and you guys have accents. What can I tell you? Hey speaking what of, can of death. Yz.
1: <laughs> hey speaking of death, do you guys see who died yesterday?
0: And the day before? (laughs) He died twice.
1: (laughs) Not the same person. I know Tina Louise died. What? No, I didn't know that.
0: In fact, they had a Gilligan's Island marathon going on TV land tonight. Oh. Uh, Who else died? Would be a
1: Gilligan's Island memorial now?
0: Not a marathon? Yeah, well, the professor died recently, so there's nobody left, right? No, Marianne's still left. Excuse me. Oh, don't. Dawnwell's still with us. Good for her.
1: Well, no, uh, Shirley Temple died. Yes. And That's, oh, and uh, Sid Caesar. Yeah, Sid Caesar. Your show of shows. Well,
0: mm. oh, I'm just, you know, because we were talking about the accent thing, and I'm going to totally shift off of the your know, depressing death talk. <laughs> well, no. <yeah>, <laughs> I, I <just, laughs> has has <laughs> anybody watched uh, Justice League Doom yet?
3: Was this another adventure? Doom? Of real death. With Doctor
0: <laughs> Paul. <laughs> uh, Doctor Paul, yeah, Doctor oh, Paul, real death. Oh, Dr. Paul. with real death with Doctor Kavorkian. Oh,
2: nice. Uh, Justice League Doom was that the one with Vandal Savage recruiting the uh, Legion of Doom?
0: Oh no, am I saying the wrong one? No, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, wrong one. The the new one, uh, Justice League War. No, I have not seen it, no. There's there's a scene early in there uh, where Wonder Woman is in a limousine being brought somewhere, I guess, by Steve Trevor. And there's a protest going on. And she gets out of the the uh, limousine uh, not knowing that they're actually protesting her. And uh, and she's like, you know, my sword stands ready to be with you, blah, blah, blah. And then she realizes that they're protesting her. And she's, you know, why would you do that? And they get some, like, construction worker guy. And he's, he's like, you dress like a whore. And I, I don't know. I, I'm very amusing.
2: I would They're trying that
0: hard to be a little bit more adult and edgy, and they're probably trying too hard. But I found that to be particularly funny when I, when I heard that.
1: I don't think yeah, a, I mean, a construction worker... Because I work in, in construction, and I don't think they'd complain that Wonder Woman dressed like a whore.
2: Well, the problem is, is that the whores that dress like Wonder Woman are really expensive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or really bad. Is this real life with Chris Tyler?
2: No, it is not. That is just the insane ramblings of a fat man
0: <laughs> who happens to
1: know what Wonder Woman gear is. <laughs> Maybe Chris dresses up like Solomon Grundy.
2: No, I told you. I could if I lose the, enough weight. Wolverine. If I stay the way I am, Puck. There we go. <laughs> when
0: I saw you, when I when I saw you when you were in Long Island, you were dressed kind of like Solomon Grundy with the dark suit and everything.
2: Yeah, but I, you know, I tan. So
1: Solomon Grundy have a girlfriend. Solomon Grundy no one erotic asphyxiation. Solomon <laughs> Sol- Grundy is best
2: tan. <laughs> yes, he was. Oh
0: man, you
1: guys are brutal. I was amazed I could say erotic. See, I can't say it now. I stumble on erotic
2: asphyxiation.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Once you've done it enough times. Thanks, Michael Hutchins. off the tongue.
1: <laughs> and yeah. David Carradine, one of that big. Asphyxiation fest in the sky.
0: <laughs> when just, you can snatch, when you so well, frustrated because you couldn't get the pebbles out of the guy's. Head. I was gonna say
1: <laughs> when you can snatch when you can snatch the belt from my hand, you can choke yourself out.
2: Oh.
1: Grasshopper. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was the sound he was making before he started to choke, Bill.
0: More like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> or uh... I was gonna do that too, Bill. Thanks for doing it
0: for me. Ow, that hurt my cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, I gotta edit all of this out.
2: No, you, you don't you have to cut How that. That old? hurt my cheeks and play it before yeah, everything. The only
3: out. part you have to keep in. Does that hurt my cheeks?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, Bill's That's LMD we might like have <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, before we go too far, uh, yes. I got the DC, and I'm the only one who has a book that we can all actually refer to. And I picked Showcase Comics number 57 featuring The Enemy Ace, which is dated August of 1965. It has a cover price of 12 cents. The cover tells us now only DC dares to reveal the enemy side of of the war. Now, the character of Enemy Ace first appeared in Our Army at War number 151 in February of 1965, so just a short few months before this book came out. Uh, the character was created by Robert Kaniger and Joe Hubert. He was a World War I German fighter pilot whose real name was Hans von, von Hammer, Ammer, Excuse me, and he was known as the Hammer from Hammer of Hell. The uh, cover by Joe Kubert shows an air battle between two biplanes, with a black and yellow image of the enemy ace on a black background. Behind that, the story is titled "Killer of the Skies," and it's written by Robert Kaniger and drawn by Joe Kubert, our two creators. And according to Mike's Amazing World. This story has been reprinted in star spangled war stories number 154 and star spangled war stories number 155 i don't know why they would do that but whatever sergeant rock special number nine enemy ace archives volume one and showcase pre- presents enemy ace volume one the story opens with the enemy ace attack returning from a mission low on fuel and followed by a, f- a fleet of uh, planes he's attacked but manages to escape the enemy's sights then returns fire. He downs the fighter by using an explosion to make it look like he was killed, and then attacking by surprise. As the other plane goes down, the pilot actually waves in a show of honor. Uh, I don't think I'm quite as honorable (laughs) as that guy, and I'd probably just wave with one finger on my way down. But that's just me. After making his way back to the base, Von Hammer is a solitary man who's haunted by the fact that he's a killer. But the other men talk about him with... uh, Just that they they seem to be very impressed by the fact that he's not an ordinary pilot and he's a human killing machine. And despite the thoughts that he's superhuman, we learn that he wounded his shoulder in the battle at the beginning of the story. As he recovers, he goes out hunting and meets up with a wolf and considers how alike the two of them are. And to emphasize the point, the wolf gets into a battle with a bear and kills it. Von Hammer witnesses two German pilots fleeing from a Canadian ace called the Hunter. And then the hunter actually drops a note from his plane to Von Hammer, and he catches it. So it's kind of maybe stretching reality just a bit there, but he's basically saying that he'll give the two men a rare opportunity to redeem themselves in battle, and the enemy ace starts to pressure the two of them to meet the challenge, and of course they're both shot down and killed. Thank you, enemy ace. Shortly after that, the enemy ace takes out a French plane in battle and uh, says that the Score isn't quite even and he vows to meet the Hunter in the skies at a later time. And needless to say, our next battle is between Hunter and the enemy Ace. Hunter drops another note, challenging him, and then Von Hammer has soldiers tear up sheets and form a human note accepting the challenge, which just seems really, really weird. Uh, Both pilots are skilled and manage to maneuver around and damage the other opponent's planes. And then after some extensive aerial stunts, they're, they're both damaged to the point that they're caused to crash land. And Von Hammer is basically uninjured, but the hunter who Von Hammer was going to take into uh, as, as, his, as his prisoner uh, just basically dies from the injuries sustained in the crash. And the story ends with Von Hammer standing respectful, uh, looking over him and, and being honorable to the way that Hunter had died. And that's basically the end of our story. Now, I, my familiarity with Enemy Ace was limited to having seen the covers of books that he was in. I may have an issue of Brave and the Bold that he's in. And I saw him on the Brave and the Bold cartoon. And that's about as much as I was exposed to him over the years. So I was interested in reading this one. And, uh, overall I thought it was pretty good. I mean, there's some real strange moments like the dropping the note, or him uh, forcing the, uh, the, the two guys to go up and get killed, or, or even you know, the fact that like as they're falling to death, people are saluting and waving and stuff. So just a little weird. But otherwise, I thought it was pretty good. It presents him as you know, a hero of his people, which I think is not easy to do in, a, in an American comic book where your hero is from a country that is traditionally thought of as an enemy country. Or at least certainly uh in the world wars. But uh overall I thought it was pretty solid. What do you guys think of this?
3: It's it's certainly a really bold concept. You know, like like you said, to take the uh almost anti hero sort of approach, you know, to your to your enemy. Mm hmm. Uh, and it's you know, it's a gorgeous Joe Hubert art on the inside for
0: sure. Yeah, I, I love the Joe Kubert art. Uh, Scott hates Joe Hubert. He says it's too scratchy, but I, I think somehow his scratchiness tends to have a purpose to it. It's not just scratches for scratches' sake. Uh, they they add to the image. They had done a book that we covered a, quite a while back on an episode. Uh, I had brought it in. It was called Blitzkrieg, and it was from the middle of the 70s. It was only one issue in the series, and it was, the whole idea was they were going to show uh, World War Two from the the other from the opposing point of view, and the way the story was written, they made the German soldiers just basically seem like killing animals, and <laughs> supposed to be showing it from their point of view. So uh, they re- didn't really try too hard to, uh, <laughs> to 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 empathize with what those people were thinking during the war, I guess, or they're just saying they were animals and ir- irredeemable, and that's all there was to it. Uh, but this one definitely tries—you know—definitely presents him as the hero, and it presents him as, you know, quite a, quite haunted by his reputation and and the things he has to do. So I, yeah. I, I like that.
3: Yeah, there there's certainly some depth to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, some, I, know, I emotional
3: emotional depth to it.
0: I yeah, like he's that. he's walking. The, you could see like the other people are all socializing, and he's just kind of on his own. And in his mind, he can hear the word "killer" being said about him uh you know and and th- there is a lot to it and you know he's, he's basically his only friend is the wolf who kills the bear certainly he wasn't friends with the two people who he taunted to their death yeah but i think he was doing that because they ran from that fight earlier they were they were well, honorable I guess his his theory is it's better to die with honor than to live a coward
2: yeah no, wise words
0: well that's only- that's yeah. that's the way he thinks. I personally would rather live a coward, but that's just me. Uh, fair, fair enough. I don't need to die a flaming death so that Von Hammer can respect oh, me. Oh,
2: and you would die such a flaming death, Paul. It would be spectacular.
0: we <laughs> <to> have Paul <laughs> back with us again? <laughs> Fabulous.
2: <Yeah>. Oh, super. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you bring me on this show?
1: Charles Nelson Riley, enemy ace. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That is a, that's a series I would read.
1: He's got the long cigar flying around. I mean, the you know, he's got the cigar on the, uh, I mean, the cigarette on the stick. What do you call uh, them things, Paul? You know, you're old. Say that one more time, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that never mind. It's
2: just a cigarette holder, but I could be Cigarette wrong.
1: holder, yeah. <laughs> See, it's something simple. That's why I couldn't think of it. Normally yeah. people who
0: have cigarette holders are villains. Well, he's the enemy ace. Very few cartoon character, uh, comic book characters rather, that are the hero of the book who smoke uh, with a cigarette holder. Or a monocle, for that matter. You need to uh, those are two signs of villainy.
2: I don't know, Namor rocked one in one of those early issues of Fantastic Four. A monocle? Uh, no, the cigarette holder. Oh. I believe.
1: Hmm. Was that when he was the movie producer?
2: Yes. Ah. That, that is an issue.
3: <laughs> that is a story. <laughs> yeah, really.
0: That was that was uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby channeling nineteen fifties comics into the nineteen sixties.
2: Uh, I was going to say the only note I would have is you. You said that Kanaga 's story was a little odd. Have you ever read any other Bob Kanaga stuff? Yeah, it just it's so bizarre and wacky.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. But it was usually, I don't. Know, this this one clearly had a uh, a more. Bold type goal to it that they were going to try and you know show a World War One fighter pilot you know from for, for Germany as as a hero. So uh, you know you, you I I don't know I just would think that uh, or I would anticipate that being just a little bit more of a serious nature to the story and there is overall but he just had those silly caniger moments come in every once in a while like yeah, the dropping uh, the note or the ripping up the sheets to answer it. <laughs>
3: Well, the I mean the what what's crazy about that scene, the the answer is if the answer was yes, I could maybe <laughs> see it, but the answer is to the hunter, we'll be happy to oblige, Hans Hammer. I'm I sorry,
0: mean, to a paragraph.
3: I was gonna say,
1: please, please RSVP via.
3: Again, if it's just a yes, maybe I could buy it.
2: Yeah. But then he wouldn't have to rip up a sheet. Then he could just like use a scrap sheet. of anything. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, well, all the people in that base are sleeping with no sheets on their beds now. because Yeah, they're all grumbling. Because so, yeah. sort of, uh, he had to be so loquacious in his response. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think the only other... Or, or another interesting note on this is the style of the, the writing... The way it's told, it's past. It's a past tense, so it's him sort of relaying the story, and maybe you get the sense that this is him in his older age telling the story.
0: That's uh, a good point. I hadn't really is, thought which about which that. Is this no, is most like most comics the are
3: told. Yeah, most comics are told in, in present uh, present tense, but
0: but I guess maybe the fact that this is supposed to take place in World War One enters into that as right, well. Right. Right. Art-wise, I really, really like the cover. I, I think it, it, it has that dark mood to it that that kind of fits the story. And in particular, I mean, I like the Joe Hubert art scenes. I like the battle scenes and everything. But in particular, the uh, close-ups of his face all seem to really pop. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's got
3: those cool goggles. Everyone's got those mm-hmm. cool goggles.
1: He's got that green t- tint.
3: Those <laughs> a- goggles are coming back. It's I coming wear back. goggles now. Goggles are cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh,
0: I don't know. I just, just got into wearing my fez. I don't, I don't know if I can make <laughs> way for goggles with that.
1: <laughs> you're you're wearing something else besides a fez, right? Ooh.
0: Why do you ask?
2: <laughs>
0: oh, he didn't say mind.
2: where he was wearing the fez. <laughs>
0: And I'm just I'm I'm looking through it while we're talking too. There's when uh, when they they tear up the sheets and send the message. He's flying above and he's high enough, you know, that the the message is pretty small on the ground. And all he does is kind of wave his hand to let them know he read the message. And 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 von Hammer's all the way on the ground, hundreds of feet away, and he says he's waving. He understands.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Well, and throughout the book, that's one of the things that I, I don't know, a little too much exposition in it. Uh, every time one of the pilots does something, uh, Von Hammer will narrate it and say, he's doing this because he has honor, or he's doing that, and, you know, he feels this way. And it's always just a simple, like, a nod or a wave or, you know, giving him the finger or whatever. But it's just, you know, I don't like... It just seems a little forced there. But then, if you take it from the perspective that you were just saying, Alan, where uh, you know it could be like from his diary or something, then then that makes more sense.
3: Yeah, this is the story as he as he tells it to his grandkids.
0: Yeah, exactly. As as he. So, urns-
3: so you you exaggerate or you embellish?
4: Hmm.
1: Yeah. This is the um. I the only enemy ace exposure I've had was a. I think the Booster Gold series before they relaunched uh, the new 52 and there was a team up with Enemy Ace and Booster Gold when he was going through time. Um, that was really the only Enemy Ace story that I've uh, seen. I think I missed it. I might have caught it on uh, Brave and the Bold, the cartoon, right? I might yeah, have. Was,
0: was it, it, was, was it was the open the, year? Yeah. One of the pre-credit oh, yeah. sequences yeah. Uh, on an Aquaman episode, actually. <laughs> Aquaman. Outrageous
2: my favorite version sorry scott
0: (laughs) but the the only the only problem with that is it's aquaman on that but what it really is is it's marvel comics hercules yeah what's wrong with that (laughs) nothing's wrong with it but but it's not aquaman it's not any other version of aquaman it's very different from every other version of aquaman you've ever seen but it's almost to the point of being marvel's hercules
2: yeah i like i like two-fisted aquaman
0: and the it. guy that's voicing him isn't that the
1: guy that voices Bender? Uh, Bender, yeah, uh, John yeah. DiMaggio. DiMaggio, yeah. John yeah.
2: DiMaggio.
1: He's also one of the Penguins on the from Madagascar.
2: Yeah. yeah, he's the guy from Gears of War for the Xbox. He's Jake uh-huh. on Adventure Time. He's been. A ton, he's not a ton of voices. Yeah, he is. He is one of those guys in he the, was voice the world. Yeah, he was the Joker in the behind under the Red Hood
0: direct oh, video. Oh yeah, yeah. That. Unfortunately, because the other things you've said, at least the ones that I know, I like all of those. Uh, I didn't like the voice in the red hood, uh, the Joker's voice in the red hood.
2: I didn't care for it either, but uh,
0: story was pretty good. Story was well done, actually, but just I don't know, like it, the the Joker voice just left me flat. I, I I don't know. I guess I was just wanting Mark Hamill to do it one more time. Don't we all? Though it's just it's not going to happen. Cesar Romero.
2: Oh, never mind. <laughs> Jerk.
1: What? Hey, any man who's got enough cojones to say, no, I'm not shaving a mustache. with <laughs> the white paint over it.
2: He should have had the balls to shave the mustache.
0: Yeah, but then he would have, wouldn't
2: would have been uh Mas Macho.
0: <laughs> Actually, that was Ricardo Montalban or Fernando Lamas. <laughs> oh, Mas Macho. You look marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and on that note, <laughs> maybe it's time to shift over to the uh, independent. All right, Apollo smile 2. I'm ready.
3: Uh what 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 what? Oh,
1: all right, fine. You know, I went and bought this on eBay and everything. No, I didn't. It back. Who, I I got nothing. <laughs>
0: Did we lose Professor Allen?
3: Oh, here I am.
0: <laughs> a, sounds that like, just happened over there. for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez.
3: Well, I was saying before death came from the prior book <laughs> and whistled through the background, I have the Maze Agency, issue 12. And the Maze Agency book debuted in 1989 and was nominated for an Eisner Award for Best New Series the year it came out. It started off publication by Comico, or Comico, and the title moved to innovation eventually. It's had a few brief revivals in the 90s and in 2005. Every issue of it was written by Mike W. Barr, and the first run of the book featured some of Adam Hughes's earliest work. He was 21 when he did his first issue. Now the pitch for the title is simple. Ex-CIA agent Jennifer Mays is now New York's prettiest private detective. And along with her boyfriend, boyfriend Gabriel Webb, a true crime writer, she solves mysteries. This is a fair play whodunit series, and in mystery fiction that just means that the clues and the suspects are presented so that the reader knows as much as the, de- as the detective so the reader could solve the mystery or at least guess at the outcome so we've got issue number 12 from Innovation Comics cover dated May 1990 the book sold for $2.50 for a 26, 26 page story for comparison I did poke around Mike's Amazing World and most standard books were selling for a buck at the time. Mm. So so this was before Emily was born. So I must have been rolling in money. That's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense.
1: Yeah, two usually incomes, we were all...
3: I said, two incomes, no kids?
1: Yeah, usually we were but... all rolling in money before the kids come.
0: Man, nowadays... two. <laughs> then the kids
1: roll in our money. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sucks. Or the cat. <laughs> mm. Did you say suckers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Says the one person on the line who doesn't have children. Yep.
3: I mean, uh, I mean, these days, $2.50 gets me 10 comics.
2: That's <laughs> right.
3: The wage but, should be. Uh, uh, this story, Murderer's Mask, was written by Mike W. Barr, with art by Adam Hughes and Rick Magyar. The letterer was Tom Adist, colorist was Susan Gold, and the book was edited by Dave Campiti. But to be honest the lettering and editing could have been way better because Susan Gold is called Susan Glod in the credits. Whoops! (laughs) Independent (laughs) comics, friends. Independent comics.
0: It's a shame shame that the letterer's name wasn't wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That would be far more ironic.
3: He made for sure he got that one right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So the cover shows Jennifer Mays involved in the exchange of briefcases with someone we can't see, and both characters are pointing guns at each other. Uh, As was common for this title, the cover image actually wraps around and takes up about half of the back cover as well. The story starts with a silent scene of the theft of a piece of art from a display case, a mask of some kind. Jennifer Mays is flown in via helicopter to meet... The wealthy Leander Morrigan Senior at his large estate. His associate
0: I think Mark he did H- it. I'm what? Sorry. I'm sorry.
3: You're not supposed to guess yet. Oh I'm sorry. <laughs> Eliminated.
0: I just I just I go by the Scooby Doo <laughs> paradigm. The first guy you meet is the guilty one.
3: <laughs> his associate, Mr Mark Handers, who would have gotten away with it if it Wasn't oh, for those pesky kids. Is the pilot and introduces her to the wheelchair-bound recluse. He gets right to the point. I won't (laughs) ask you how your flight was, because I don't care. You're here, and that's what matters.
1: The butler did it.
3: There's no but. Well, he is sort of the butler, too, and the helicopter pilot. Nice. Uh
0: Gentleman's gentleman.
3: (laughs) He's a man's man, but not in that way. We learn that Morgan's (laughs) wife died giving birth to their third child 32 years ago, They were so in love, and he was heartbroken, so he had a famous artist make a death mask of his wife.
0: Isn't it easy to do your reviews on your show where people don't interrupt you while you're talking? (laughs) Sorry, sorry.
3: I mean, it's an honor (laughs) to be here. I mean, it's an honor to be here.
0: (laughs) The the honor is getting smaller and
3: smaller with every interruption. (laughs) Just
1: just keep telling yourself that.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I'm having fun with you, but... uh... Well, I'm having fun. That's all it matters. Okay, well, that's
3: page two. Uh, Okay, so... The artist committed suicide shortly after he finished the death mask. And it was this death mask that was stolen in the opening scene. Now, the old man has no evidence, but he considers all of his three kids suspects in the theft. Which Chris readily agrees with. The artist didn't
1: kill himself. And he's the one. And,
3: And
2: he's the butler
1: and he's exactly there we go
2: Smokey is the bandit
0: <laughs> Jackie Gleason
3: <laughs> so Kaiser so convinces bitch. May's convinces her boyfriend Gabriel Webb the joiner in the investigation which he hopes to write up for a true crime magazine they arrive and interview the kids and they all have various positions in their dad's business enterprises Webb presents himself, the guy, as the one in charge, referring to Jennifer as his secretary, Laura Holt. In 1990, that was a funny reference to a TV show. Wait a minute,
1: isn't that Remington Steele?
3: Exactly! Oh, okay. Leander Jr., he has a nice wave of green hair on his head, which I assume is a case of some off-coloring scenario of some kind with the production of the book, because... It's consistent throughout the issue, and I he doesn't seem to be a green-haired kind of guy. Again, it's an independent comic, so I think that's I've I've got a feeling it was when his hair got colored green that someone decided to call the colorist Susan Glod instead of <laughs>
1: Susan
3: Gold. I, I think there might be a connection between those two things.
1: Revenge <laughs>
3: Uh, So, at that moment, she's, she's meeting with the kids, and the old man appears on a video screen in the conference room, as his company has apparently just invented video Skype. He berates each of his children in due course. Our investigators agree that the children are all suspects, but until further developments arise, it's only speculation. Jennifer adds, I'm just sorry to see a family torn apart like that. They talk more about the case but they just end up smooching in the moonlight because they're in love. The next day, Handers, the assistant, stops by with a portable Skype setup in his briefcase so the old man can talk to the the detective face-to-face. The old man has developed a nasty cold, but between sneezes, he reveals that he has received a ransom demand. Instead of calling the police, like you should do, (laughs) but this is a fictional story. And they never do. He wants Maze to handle it. She agrees to it for $10,000 an hour. ooh, Also known as the Wonder Woman rate in Chris Tyler's world. Yeah. (laughs) After disconnecting with the old man, Maze reveals to Handers the assistant that she has learned that he, the assistant, is actually the son of the artist who made the death mask. So someone said Bill Robinson was on the mm. right track. Uh-huh. He admits that he did come to work for the father to learn if the old man had anything to do with his father's suicide, but that over the years he's come to like the old man and come to like working for him. But he has kept this secret from the old man. Then we get the exchange from the cover, the exchange of briefcases, money for the mask. As Maze and Webb drive off, they see a fireball erupt behind them. They rush to see the car of the thief burning, but its occupant has managed to escape. Jennifer catches him and subdues him. But you're not, the masked man begins. Who? I'm not the man who hired you. He double-crossed you, didn't he? Who is he? But a shot rings out, and the masked man is dead before he can reveal his secrets. The end. No, no, that's not really the end.
0: (laughs) Okay, because I was going to say, that sucked.
3: (laughs) So the thief has just become a killer. So our detectives head straight back to the old man's estate, trying to put all the pieces together. They want to know where everybody was an hour ago. Handers, the assistant, was there on the scene of the exchanges waiting for Mays. The kids were all at the uh, helicopter hangar of of, of their dads. Uh, Father wouldn't take our calls, so we all went to see him. Leander Sr., the old man, wheels himself in, sneezing. All he cares about is the death mask. He opens the briefcase, but something unsettles Jennifer. That odor, she says. She knocks the mask out of his hand, pushing the old man aside, and the mask explodes. A distraught Leander Sr. wants to know how Jennifer knew. When you open the case, I caught a whiff of burnt rubber, the whiff of plastic explosive. She figures the detonator was activated when the thief locked the airtight case. I didn't smell it at the pickup because there was a brisk wind. Then she reveals to everybody that handers the assistant, the butler, the first guy we met. uh Uh-oh. How'd you guys know?
1: (laughs) The butler (laughs) always does In
3: fact, the son of the dead artist. Gabriel then reveals the plot. She smelled the odor from across the room, but you didn't react at all because he had caught a bad cold the night before. See, characters just don't start sneezing for no reason how would the killer have known that it's as simple as gravity you haven't talked to your family since yesterday and you didn't have the cold then only someone who was with you all the time would have known handers the assistant i mean handers the bitter bitter assistant who he thought the... the old man was responsible for his father's suicide and the hatred among the kids made for a perfect blind so, so it they the, arrested. It was, it was the a, butler.
1: It was, it a was bitter the bitter butler.
3: He <laughs> would have gotten away with it if it weren't for. So there's a brief flirty scene between our detectives. Their job well done. You guys guessed it. That takes all the fun out of
0: it. Sorry, there. man. <laughs> we, and we guessed it for different reasons. It was all. It's all good. It's all good.
3: I, I do mean, have to say. Pro-
0: Every time you
1: said, "old oh, old man," I just hear Neil Young in my head oh, old my man, man, take a
0: look at my himself. life <laughs> That sounds nothing like Neil Young by the way
3: what now I mean, the problem is, is this tough to summarize a mystery because you have to include the important parts
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you got <you> to <laughs> mention all the clues, and this is important
3: I, mention every clue?
0: <laughs> I, tried
3: to, I tried not to wink.
0: Not, no, I know this clue isn't important, and I don't want to go on all night, so I'll just leave anyone that that doesn't lead you to the killer out. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you, but you, you, you were summarizing the comic; you weren't necessarily creating a mystery for us. We just decided to guess to just to be, really to be annoying. So, well,
3: congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> Another
0: successful task.
1: <laughs> Job well done. My work is finished here.
3: Well I thought I thought it was fun and, and part of the uh I I like non-hero comics that that doesn't bother me at all so mysteries or sci-fi anything in a, in a comic setting war comics though that is a pretty big blind spot for me but I'm certainly not opposed to them in concept so I like I like anything that's a little off the beaten track and I really like Adam Hughes's art and this is way way early in his career but I think he does really good drawing, real-world type of scenarios. So I think a book like this fits his strength. You know, the the characters all look different. The ones who are supposed to be bitter look bitter. The handsome guys look handsome. And the beautiful girl looks beautiful.
0: So I, I, I have to – Is, is that right? because or, the beautiful girl looks beautiful or is it because he drew a beautiful girl and then you just decided to call her the beautiful girl? You know what I'm saying? Is it the chicken or the egg? There, what's?
3: Uh... Is it the art or the? She's it's it's uh, she's a fetching. Like maybe uh,
0: the egg. old man was really only supposed to be like twenty, but he <laughs> drew him that way. So you say, well, the old man looks like an old man.
3: Everybody <laughs> looks different, and with some comic artists, that's not always the case.
0: You remember back in the days, like when uh, if it, if they didn't have their masks on, you could never tell uh, Clint Barton from Steve Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to some extent, that's still true. Yeah, hmm. you know. But I, I, I mean, superhero books is my, you know, my my strong point. That's that's what I like. But uh, but I'm not opposed to other styles of books either. I I, I try to be you know open minded and and read stuff and you know take in some new things. This is one that I've heard the name, but I don't think I've ever been exposed to it at all. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I I like the whole concept. I like the fair play mystery aspect of it. Uh, You know, get your mind racing a little bit, wondering, trying to figure it out. Of course, uh, you know, I would hate if every issue was the first guy you met, like in (laughs) Scooby-Doo, because that would just make it too easy.
3: (laughs) And I mean, I like, I, I also like Mike W. Barr. I mean, obviously a lot of Batman work in his past mm-hmm. as well, that he's bringing to this sort of you know, yeah, didn't he more, do more straight detective sort of stuff.
1: He did Batman and the outsiders too, back in the eighties, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to have a, a lot of those.
0: But I, I, you know, unfortunately there's another one. We didn't have the book in front of us, but you sent us a, a website that had some pages on it and, uh, you know, I get a, a flavor for the art in it and it, I mean, the art looks good. Uh, the story sounded good. I, 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 just from your recap of it, I, I seem to have almost like a moonlighting vibe.
3: Yeah, I th- I, I think mm. that's part of it too. I, I, there's obviously a direct Remington Steel reference, but obviously <laughs> moonlighting is in there in there as well.
0: And maybe that's just because I really didn't watch Remington Steel. Maybe I would have gotten that vibe even more so if I did. <laughs> but it, it sounded like a good one. I, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed. I, I'd have some interest in reading it. Yeah, yeah it's it might, well, I, I you know.
3: I I am shocked how much I paid for some of these independents that I but I, I was I was in that independent boom of the mid 80s with this uh, I, I I've talked on the uh, Quarterbin podcast a lot about John Sable a Mike a Grell book from from this era or uh, Maze Agency uh, Baker Street was a black and white sort of update Sherlock Holmes uh, story mm. Eter- Eternity Smith a weird sci-fi stuff but I'd go to the comic store, I don't know, I guess every every month or so and just pull weird things that I'd never heard of before off the Com- shelves.
1: I've got a adaptation of Star Blazers that Comico did. I don't remember if it was the 80s or the 90s though when I picked it up. Do you put that with your uh, Angel whatever book? Apollo Smile. <laughs> Apollo
2: Smile. <laughs>
1: How hard is that? A-p-o-l-l-o.
2: It was hard for Otter. us when
1: you read about it, talked about it. Hey, don't make me pull out con. All right, I can start doing that. <laughs> Just don't, don't make
0: him synopsize again. Has this he finished?
3: <laughs> has he finished summarizing that? I can't tell. That was like four weeks ago. I don't know that he's finished yet. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't even know what to what to say on that. <laughs> but this that that particular era of comics that you're talking about, Alan, is is. In pretty much in my blind spot because I had stopped in the mid to late '80s buying books and I didn't get back into it until uh, the death of Superman. So this, these are all books that came out while I was was not buying anything, and unless yeah, for, I found them in a quarter bin, they wouldn't be in my collection.
3: Right. Yeah, for me, it's you know, really early '90s to about mid 2005. the same thing, I've got about a 10 or 15 year period where I wasn't reading. And you know, really is what what now. Ad, admittedly, unfortunate is that the era that I missed was the '90s. Well, so that's know, a we've good talked
0: thing. in the past about the '90s, though <laughs> it's it's not nearly as as bad as no, people make no. it out to be. Uh, you know, there's some bad stuff. There's some good stuff. Uh, we talked about it a little bit actually in Comics Monthly Monday. That's gonna air the monday after we're recording this which will be about two weeks before this episode airs so that's the travel version of podcasting Uh, but you know I, i was saying about the 90s there's there's there are a lot of good books that came out in the 90s the problem with the 90s is uh to wrap it up in one word is excess and and they were they were publishing too many books they weren't bothering to try and get quality teams on everything and then they were, you know, doing the chromium covers and all of that crap. Uh but there still were talented people making books and there still are a significant number of quality books that came out in that period. You just have to sift through some of the bad ones that came along with the good ones.
3: Yeah, I I think excess is a great word for the uh you know the uh sorry uh, the, about else-
1: that. I was trying to mute. Yeah, good job. You failed. I sneezed faster than I could get to the button.
0: I was on the wrong mouse. <laughs> it's not Did my you, fault. Were you on the mouse for the porn computer?
1: <laughs> yes, but I was not looking at it. I'm Whatever. sorry for
0: distracting your porn watching with our podcasting. Yeah, I, I got two
1: mice. I got two keyboards and a microphone.
0: Whatever. I, where it's at. Two. I key- was going <laughs> to
1: do and that. And so- a <laughs>
3: microphone. I, we all got it.
1: Sorry. Right. Never mind. I'll go back to sneezing. That's what I'm calling it nowadays. <laughs> I gotta go blow my nose.
2: Yeah, like, like. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, that's what they're calling it.
3: The uh, but the uh, the LCS I visit a couple times a year when they pull out the cheap bins. You know the the sign inside the store. You know, advertising the coming quarter bin sale. You know, the one of the taglines on their their in house poster is "See what the '90s brought us." <laughs> you know, because that is the vast majority of what is in there. It just you know, over production, over everything.
0: Yeah, well, so they would there take are a advantage ton of,
3: of those books.
0: They were taking advantage of the people who were naive enough to think that that all these books were going to be worth a lot of money. Yep. So they they produced two million copies, which. Guaranteed that it wouldn't be worth a lot of money, but in the short (laughs) term, they made a lot.
3: One of the the things I tell my students, I'm a uh, professor of business and finance, when we talk about personal finance, I do talk about collectibles some. And I say, one of the ways that you know something is not a collectible is if on the cover it says it's a collectible. (laughs) (laughs) That is how you know it's not.
0: Well, and I mean it's to to take you know economics to its simplest point, which is basically where I understand it. Uh, it really is a matter of supply and demand. And if Absolutely. if if you have a huge, huge number of copies of a book that isn't immensely popular, <laughs> your your supply far outweighs your demand. And Therefore, and where they
3: when where they end up is the dollar bin, the fifty cent bin, or the twenty five cent bin to get rid of them. And just Absolutely. While,
0: while I have my economics hat on, and then the books all become fungible.
2: Oh, that's impressive. I work in finance, and I don't even know what that means.
0: <laughs> all I, right, I, I'm I done. No, I've exhausted my economics knowledge.
3: <laughs> well, I'm not sure what I'm grading the books, but I'm giving Paul an A. There you go. <sighs>
0: Thank you. Nice. You just you, got you, yourself an and... invite back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm looking up fungible right now. (laughs) Fungible. Is that when you can do stuff with mushrooms? (laughs) Fungible. Oh, I misspelled it. (laughs) Is it Ible or Able? Oh, that's fungible. Oh, okay. Of goods contracted for without an individual specimen being specimen. Able to replace or be replaced by another identical item. Mutually interchangeable. Money is fungible. Money is really. Oh, okay. I got it. Yes, yes.
3: Comic books are fungible.
1: Fungible. Yes. Ah, rah, rah, harumph, harumph.
2: I got it.
3: <laughs> okay, Bill gets a B minus. Chris, I'm still going incomplete.
2: But uh, You can give me an F. It's cool. It wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be my first one.
1: <laughs> I have a new word for the day. Woohoo.
0: Uh, I'm
1: going to be using this all week.
0: You know what? If, if when people tune into this show, they learn something, I truly feel deep down inside that we've failed. I was gonna say.
2: We failed.
4: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com